0: Hello, and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, did you have a happy Easter?
1: I did, man. How was yours?
0: It was great. I mean, the weather was outstanding in Oklahoma. Uh, Easter Bunny came, and uh <laughs> which church saw the Masters. So it was overall a fantastic Easter weekend. Did you guys have a good one? Yeah, we did. I mean, any weekend where you get to see family, you get to watch
1: some good golf, is fun. So yeah. I had a good weekend, had uh, my brother that doesn't live in Oklahoma came in town, so the whole family was together. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, that's always good. And it was obviously capped off with Brooks Kepka taking a big L at Augusta, which is <laughs> I, I have been on record, I think I've even talked about it on this podcast, but people who know me know I have never been a Brooks Kepka guy. So, and I am a John Rom guy. I've I've appreciated what he's done. And uh that was just a phenomenal ending to that tournament. And I think you know, several had thought it was just a foregone conclusion that you know Kepka was gonna roll away with that thing and First tee on on Sunday, it was very clear that something was different, and he just really never had it. So I was not all that broken up about it. But uh, the the one thing that's disappointing is no Hovland. Hovland uh, kind of collapsed down the stretch on Sunday.
1: So yeah, and he played you know well through the other three rounds, yeah. kind of kept himself in the mix. So it was fun that he was at least in the mix to start that final round obviously always cheering for the Oklahoma state guys. Oh no question. So it, was a, it, it was a lot of fun. I had a good time watching the end of it, even
0: though Victor kind of, like you said, fell off, but it, it was a lot of fun as, as always. It was a little Ricky Fowler esque uh, to be completely honest with you, but we'll get to a little bit of the masters later. Um, but Dustin, I'll kick it over to you. I know we've got several uh, spring practice notes to get into and uh, I'm excited for this.
1: Yeah, Kate, I feel like this is the first pod in a few weeks where we haven't had like a, football related news topic, like the hall of honor or something like that. So we're just going straight into spring football. I did want to mention Casey Dunn had to miss practice on Saturday because he was recently inducted into the Idaho athletics hall of fame. And Cade, when I was looking this up a little bit, so it's his 13th season on the coaching staff at Oklahoma state. That's the longest streak for any assistant coach since 1962. That's pretty pretty amazing. Pretty wild there. And, you know, Gundy talks about continuity all the time, so I guess it's not that surprising that someone on his staff has tied that streak. But if you don't know, Casey Dunn played at the University of Idaho, standout receiver for the Vandals, three-time All-American. He holds the school record in receptions, receiving yards, and was second in touchdowns. And at the end of his career, his reception total and receiving yards total – Ranked second all time in the FCS, trailing only Jerry Rice.
0: So <laughs> that's pretty <he> was, good.
1: <laughs> for an, I know it's FCS, but he at his time, I think it's been passed now, his record, but he was a baller for Idaho yeah. back in the day. So shout out to Casey Dunn. I know I'm sure some fans were one are wondering how practice went without him there. Probably thought it went better, but <laughs> just I think uh, I think Casey Dunn de- definitely deserves his flowers, though, for getting into the Idaho Hall-
0: Athletics Hall of Fame. And, kid, it also re- begs the question, who's in it? Who's in the well, Idaho Athletics Hall of Fame? I was literally just going to say, you know Uncle Rico's in it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know anybody else that would be in it other than Uncle Rico. I mean, he, he's a legend. you can name one person. Actually, if anybody
1: can just send us an Idaho Athletics Hall of Fame that they know without looking it up, Maybe we'll maybe we'll give you some kind of prize.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's probably some some big names there, but I mean, Casey Dunn that that's a fantastic story and 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 probably an accomplishment that he's very proud of and should be. But that's um that's pretty cool. I was trying to look up uh, as we were sitting here noteworthy uh, Hall of Fame inductees into the uh, Idaho Athletics Hall of Fame, but uh, I'm I'm coming up short. So if as I'm Dustin sure it- said. Send them our way. I'm sure someone from Idaho would, you know, come back at, you know, who's in the
1: Oklahoma athletics hall of fame. But I feel like with the thunder with OU football, Oklahoma state athletics in general, you could name way more people in the Oklahoma hall of fame than you could Idaho. So if they (laughs) were to come at us, I'm I'm locked and ready.
0: Yeah. Take that.
1: (laughs) But on to practice Cade a lot of team reps have been going on. So we've heard, you know, Robert Allen gives his practice updates on the radio show. He's able to attend the entire practice, which most of the media can only go to the first 15 minutes, but they're using three different groups. First, second, third team on both sides of the ball. And they've moved to a lot of team drills. Whereas the first kind of nine practices seem to be first eight or nine practices seem to be a lot of drills, a lot of install, a lot of scheme. And now it's kind of putting things to work. So, And I think it's been a little bit of back and forth. Mike Gundy said as much when he talked to the media. He said, you know, one of the days last week, the defense kind of dominated. Another day, the offense gave it to him. So it's been pretty interesting. And before we kind of get into the practice notes, Cade, we've got, it's a few weeks out, but the portal is going to be opening back up soon. Are you worried at all? Because we know tampering goes on. We know teams contact, try to give NIL deals out. Do you have anybody on your radar that you think may leave that could be a major contributor for Oklahoma state? And you and I haven't heard very much. I know going kind of into the last portal season, when some of the media was mentioning guys that were that they heard were getting looked at, we heard cam Epps name. We heard Corey black's name kind of thrown into the mix along with Jabbar Muhammad, but did you see anybody
0: taking off? I, I hate to start it on a negative foot. I, I know. To kind of bring that up real quick to you. That's a scary thought, but I would, you would like to think that that has passed by, you know, this it's not out, out of the realm of possibility. And I would actually say that it's, it's probably a foregone conclusion that somebody will enter the transfer portal. You just hope it's not anybody on your too deep at this, at this point, because I don't know if they are deep enough to withstand something like that let's say if a oh i don't know if a a xavier benson i'm just throwing out a random name were to enter the portal or somebody even like a jeff Robertson, even maybe a better example like that would be uh really tough on oklahoma state because they're they're just not that deep at at really any particular position so i don't think that they have depth to spare and obviously that's that's the important thing but no i i I don't have anybody off the top of my head that concerns me. Obviously, the ones that we heard, you know, initially would be on high on that list. But I, right now, no. And I'm sorry, I meant Cam Smith, not Cam Epps. Right. Both yeah. play cornerback. But
1: I think you brought up a good point with linebacker. If I was just to guess, and again, I haven't heard any rumors, but some guys that maybe I would throw out there that maybe might enter, and I can give some reasons. And let me know what you think, Cade. a Taylor yeah. Oklahoma state offensive guard. He started last season. It sounds like he's running with the twos from what we've heard for now behind Jason Brooks and Preston Wilson. And even, I don't even think he would be the next guy up. It sounds like Cole Birmingham would fill in either guard spot. If one of those guys were to go down, I know Dickey and Gundy really like Taylor Materko, but that's a guy I could maybe see Uh, maybe a running back. Obviously, I don't think a DeAndre Jackson would be someone that could enter since he already transferred once. But you know, if Jaden Nixon feels that he's done enough to where he deserves to get some carries and they think they're still going to use him as a third down back primarily, that could be a guy. Those are two just kind of off the top of my head. On defense, you made a good call with the linebacker spot. Maybe a Donnie Stevens, a Nick Martin, a Chance Clements, a Gabe Brown, somebody that thinks that they deserve... Right to be a starter and isn't going to be. I I doubt any of those guys would, but you brought up a good point there. And then we know the defensive backroom, even though it's inexperienced, it's loaded. You know, Jordan Reagan, Kale Smith, the, the Kelvion Beeman, Cam Epps. You got new guys like Kenneth Harrison who came in from Arkansas State, Ty Williams, Nick Session, Raymond Gay, Darius Webb, DJ McKinney, not even to mention the guys we already talked about in Cam Smith, Corey Black, and Rucker Daniels and Rawls at safety. A lot of defensive backs, a lot of talent there. I think those guys understand that they are kind of next up, those first names that I mentioned. But I think defensive back, linebacker, and then offensive line would be three spots I would maybe look at. I think we see maybe one or two guys enter the portal. I doubt, though, it's anybody that's going to be a major contributor. And one, one positive for Oklahoma State is you had a lot of guys transfer in which I know some people think is a negative, but in this sense, it's probably a positive because they're not going to transfer again or they'd have to sit out. So on offense and defensive line and even linebacker a little bit, I, I think you're okay. But, you know, a guy like Matirko kind of stands
0: out to me, although I haven't heard anything. Yeah, no, once you started breaking it down, that that makes a lot of sense. Even a Jaden Nixon, while that would not be ideal and I think could factor in, I think he could make a push. You know, I, th- I think the carries are going to be Ollie Gordons and Elijah Collins primarily, but he's shown an ability. And I think you're probably right. You know, maybe, maybe not exactly what you said, but where we were headed is, you know, this will be his third year in college. Maybe he feels like he's shown enough to go play somewhere else. And, um, there are probably several guys that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head that that could potentially feel that way, but it's a young roster at, at some other spots. Um, so I'm, I'm not so sure. I, I think maybe
1: someone listening could throw out a name like a Xavier Ross. Right. I just think defensive line is so, there's so many new guys, so little experience. And even though they've moved to more of a three down odd front, although we've had heard, they're going to do some even do some four down. I just don't think there's enough guys to where anybody like a Xavier Ross or an Aiden yeah. Kelly, who we know is not participating right now would jump in because they
0: probably think they still have a shot to crack the two deep. Yeah. Yeah. No, no question. Xavier, you keep throwing out these names that make a lot of sense and that I haven't (laughs) quite thought of, and it's making me a little bit nervous. I'm just trying to prepare myself and
1: prepare you. And may, maybe the fan base, but I, they may not care as much as you and I do for someone to jump into the portal, because I know when we see a name, we're going to be sad at first. So just trying to prepare you and yeah, you should thank me, but you don't need to. Well, I want.
0: will thank you. I thank you for a lot of things, but I will thank you for this. <laughs> and uh, additionally, there are there are this would throw your scholarship counter into a tizzy like we've already yes. had quite the uh, challenge figuring out who's where we think we've got it. And and guys going into the portal, that changes everything.
1: The, the fact that they reached out to that junior college offensive lineman, his name right. is slipping me right now, who's in the 2023 class, even though we've heard the scholarship count is full, just makes me feel like they're expecting at least one or two guys to, to enter. But it could just be a precautionary thing and they don't expect anybody to enter. But people are going to enter the transfer portal in this May period across the country it's not going to be i don't think personally i don't think it's going to be anywhere near as many the first time because there's still so many guys in the portal from the first time but people will enter
0: yeah it is a tread lightly type of situation you're even seeing this in basketball right now eventually there's going to be uh not enough spots for the amount of players that are in there so it is uh it's precarious and especially jumping in late uh that that'll be interesting to follow Yeah, I agree.
1: All right, let's move in, Kate, a little bit to practice. Mike Gundy had another media session. The questions are getting a little bit – and not the media's fault. The questions and answers are getting a little repetitive at this point. The media, (laughs) I feel like, is actually doing a good job of asking different things. But Gundy can only – he does give you a lot, but he does throw in a lot of coach speak. And so it's they've become shorter, kind of muddled together now, some of these answers. But a couple things I wanted to point out. He mentioned that Oklahoma State is done with their install of the new scheme he said we're done with install so not putting anything else in any of the three phases now we're just trying to get as many reps as we can cut back individual period more full speed team periods other than tackling getting guys quality work and then he goes on to you know just say spring has been good and everything hey that i don't think is a surprise to you and i when we talked about it a little bit off air you know if you if you look up any kind of like book on installing a new offense installing a new defense or any kind of you know like package you can buy as a youth coach or a high school coach it's normally a four five six three-day install period so obviously the college game is a little bit more complex especially when it's something completely new but things you got to remember these guys have been playing football all their life these coaches have been coaching for a long time even a guy like brian nardo and not only have they had at this time, at the time of this media conference, nine full spring practices, we mentioned they had multiple walkthroughs where a ball wasn't used. And in those, because they weren't allowed to use a football due to NCAA (laughs) regulations at that time period, that's just straight install. You're just straight teaching in the film room and going over stuff on the field, slowly walking everybody through it. That's why they're called walkthroughs. So was this a shock to you that Gundy said they were done with the install? I, initially, I was like, man, that was pretty quick. But then I thought about nine practices plus all those walkthroughs. I think they've got their base, their base fronts, some blitz packages in, and several coverages, enough to kind of play a scrimmage or game, especially in like a team practice period.
0: No, I, I I think you nailed it. You're you're in spring right now. This install, you know, going from a a four-three, if you could even call it that, four two five at times for Oklahoma State last year, to a three-three or a three-four, whatever they're gonna end up doing in their base is not wildly, you know, different. I don't think it's a radical change, and it makes sense that it's you know, it's taken. Through walkthroughs in spring practice, not that much time. It's, it's not that shocking to me. In some of the
1: positions, you, you know, you're teaching different things. You're not teaching the nose tackle how to play cover two. right? You know, you're teaching them, and I know there's a lot of formations. There's a lot of motions. I'm not saying it's simple, but you can install multiple things to different units at the exact same time in practice. So yeah, right. you can get a lot done, multitasking. That's why you have position coaches. So I think I, I saw maybe there was some people a little surprised that that was done, but Gundy has talked about keeping it simple. They're obviously going to add things in the summer, in the fall and for specific opponents, which they'll go through, you know, Gundy's talked about in the past, his book that he has on every Big 12 team, every team he plays, he goes back to it, goes back to the film. They're going to have ideas already and use some of the things they've used in the past and mesh it in with Nardo's system. So I would say if you thought that that was too quick on the install, I I think you got to think about all of those different factors and know that they've installed the simplest version of this to get some base fronts, coverages, and blitz packages down, and they're going to
0: build off this going forward. No, that's a that's a really good point to make. And I'm sure some people did have the same reaction you did. Um, you know, as I was thinking about it, it it checks out to me. You're you're not changing so much. And I think you laid it out beautifully where, you know, a Justin Kirkland knows how to play nose guard. Uh, you know, your back end, you, you may be switching around position. Uh, you may be adding a new linebacker into some types of formations, but at the end of the day, you can do that kind of simultaneously and by a position group so i love what you said there that makes a lot of sense to me
1: and the reason why they have a guy like kendall daniels at rover is because they think he can handle it right that position needs run fits coverage a lot of different stuff going on where to align on every single different formation but they put kendall daniels there for a reason so yeah i think the spots that are harder they have the smarter guys that they know can get it down so It'll, it'll be fun to watch as it goes forward. Basically, when I say people, I'm talking about myself. I'm talking myself into feeling good about it. So just wanted to kind of point that out. As yeah, well, thank Gabe. you for that. <laughs> uh, next, O-line. Gundy said there's eight guys right now that could play in a game and play just fine. Could be 10 before it's wow. all said and done. We just don't know yet because they haven't picked the system up. So he's talking about the new guys. He says, I haven't seen them play without having to think, but you know – you. You know, years ago, we used to have eight, 10 guys that could play in a game, but we haven't had that in a while. Maybe now we'll have that again. That's positive. I still think there's some things to shore up on the offensive line. I feel good about Jason Brooks at left guard. I feel, I'm sure some people are going to hear this like, and be like, what are you talking about? But I feel good about Jake Springfield at right tackle. And I feel pretty good about Joe Mahalski at center. I want to see, what Preston Wilson looks like at guard. We haven't seen him there a lot. I want to see what Caleb Etienne looks like. Can Dalton Cooper take that spot over? I would love to get a little glimpse of Austin Kowecki at center, Cole Birmingham at guard as well. And then you've got guys like Calvin Harvey, Noah McKinney, and the freshman from Arizona, Jack and Dean still kind of fighting for those spots. So when Gundy says eight, to me, I think that's, Etienne Cooper Brooks, Maholski, Wilson, Springfield, Materko, and Birmingham. And then the other guys he's talking about are a you know a mix of a Harvey, a Noah McKinney, an N. Dean, a Kowecki, somewhat, two of those four to make the 10. Is, is that kind of how you think yeah, he's laying it out?
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. As you go through that depth chart, I, I just feel like Cole Birmingham is he's gonna be playing a lot. And he may not be starting week one. But I feel like week 12 rolls around, he's going to be on your starting offensive line. I I get the sentiment with Mahalski at center, Wilson at guard. But I feel like this offensive line, at, at some point, you'd like to just say, yeah, your five best offensive linemen are the one that are ones that are on the field. And if you have a situation where Dalton Cooper, we haven't seen him play in Stillwater, but by all accounts, the tools are there if you have a situation where him and birmingham are not on the field and again you're mixing around but if they're not starting that's going to that'll raise some eyebrows uh at least it it'll, it will for me until i see otherwise that you know it's a good call and you you'll trust charlie dickey to manage that personnel well but i don't know part of me part of me thought Before, you know, we talked about this several weeks ago that Cole Birmingham was a surefire starter and it doesn't sound like that's the case. And that's surprising to me.
1: And Kate, that's just going off of what we've heard. Sure. To your point. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the season it's Preston Wilson back at center and Cole Birmingham at right guard. which wouldn't shock me at all.
0: That's what I expected. That's what I actually expect going into week one is the starting lineup is Wilson at center, where he has been, and then Cole Birmingham at right guard. And then I think your, your starting five there is really solid with Dalton Cooper probably pushing Caleb Etienne at tackle.
1: Yeah, and I did also want to mention... We talked about a little bit last week with Cooper with the plantar fasciitis. Apparently, he's still been out for a little bit. And again, it sounds like if there were a game he would play, they're just taking it slow because he's an experienced guy. He got several practices in, he got walkthroughs in, so he understands what's going on. But Calvin Harvey, Noah McKinney, and Jack and Dean have apparently been getting a lot of reps with the twos. So that's pretty good because all those guys are pretty young. And Jacoby Sanders, the center from Stillwater, who you and I both liked a lot in this last recruiting class has also looked really good. Gundy said when he got here, he was already like the third strongest guy on the team. (laughs) And that's without any time spent with Rob glass.
0: Yeah. And, and it is surprising, but I think Gundy talked about that early on is like, he's freakishly strong and now it continues to get backed up that he's just, he's just kind of a freak in the weight room and, A lot of times that translates, sometimes it doesn't, but it's, it's a start.
1: Yeah. For me with Sanders, the only thing that I saw was maybe just improving his quickness a little bit when he put on that weight, it seemed to slow him down, which logically will happen, but he seems like a very, very smart football IQ guy. So he can just get a little bit quicker. He's already strong enough. I think that's your center of the future. And that makes me feel pretty good about that position because he dominated at the, at
0: Stillwater. Yeah, 100%. We were pretty fired up about him coming in. For sure. Uh,
1: a couple other quick notes. Gundy talked about going against the odd front, how that's going to help the offense as well, since you see a lot of that three-three-five, a lot of that odd front from big 12 teams, from non-conference opponents. He said they've gone against the even front for 20 years. So going against the odd front is going to help the offense. And then, the offense trying to scheme against the odd front is obviously going to help the defense. So good stuff there from Gundy on that. He got asked about how Alan Bowman is learning the playbook. And my Gundy said that I'll be honest with you, he's he's got 60 to 70 percent of it down terminology wise, because he was at Texas Tech and it's from the same tree, that kind of air raid coaching tree, yeah. terminology wise he said he hasn't seen him stumble in practice once as far as terminology goes, Oh wow! which is great to hear. And we've heard Bowman's a really sharp guy. So the fact that he's, if he's got the playbook down already, that's one big time positive, I think.
0: Well, absolutely. I, I don't know if it's an a distinct advantage over a guy like Garrett Rangel, but you factor in the maturity on the field, which we talked about last week, the, the the tools in the tool shed up top, Those are all things that kind of point to Alan Bowman starting on week one to
1: me. 100%. A few notes from practice. So they had an extra long practice with plenty of team periods on Saturday. Monday was a little bit shorter. Also, Saturday was the first day they worked offense kind of starting from their own goal line and moving forward. defense had some success. I think Monday they kind of did a bunch of different things. On offense, Jaden Nixon continues to look really good it sounds like Dejon Stribling is kind of separating himself maybe a little bit from the other guys at Z, along with Jaden Bray. But it, it it sounds like Stribling is probably going to get some playing time early. And if he performs well in the games, it, it could continue to increase you and I both love a guy like Jaden Bray, but to hear that about Stribling is big time. And it, he's
0: a guy I know you're really high on. Well, it backs up some things I've heard from, from, you know, good, good people. So it's, it's, It's in the water with Deshaun Stribling. I think the secret is out.
1: Yeah, apparently on a uh, fake a little play action from their own end zone, Bowman hit Stribling on a deep route, got some separation from the defensive back, caught it at like the 40, 42, and then sprinted the rest of the way for a 99-yard touchdown. So (laughs) 99-yard touchdowns are cool.
0: You don't see those a lot outside of video games, but I'm always down. I think we would have taken nine yard touchdowns at the end of the year last year. We'll, we'll yes, take the extra those 90 last yards. Five games.
1: Yeah. So like like we said, Bowman's starting to look good. It sounds like Blaine Green has been a little bit of a go-to target in the red zone, which isn't surprising. We know he's a big body moving from cowboy back, back to receiver. Jaden Bray, uh, Garrett Rangel hit Jaden Bray on or sorry, Bowman hit Jaden Bray on a touchdown. He's looked really good. We already talked about him. Rashad Owens continues to look good, and we continue not to talk about him. And then obviously, Brendan Presley and Arlen Bruce, all the receivers. It sounds like the receivers, Kate, are kind of standing out a little bit above the rest. Not that everybody else isn't performing well, but the receivers are the highlight reel of every practice. And it sounds like it's not just from the Twitter videos we're seeing, that's what's going on at the actual practice. So, You've been high on that this unit is better than last year's. I think you're going to end up looking like a very smart man.
0: I mean, I nailed the done lead- already. Well, thank you. I am wearing my glasses tonight. I was trying to look smarter, so I hate <laughs> that I missed the mark on that. But uh <laughs> it it I was right on Brennan Presley being the leading receiver last year. Uh I will say I tend I tend to be a wide receiver kind of guy. So I feel like I'm on it this year. I just think the addition of Arlen Bruce and Deshaun Stribbling, like stribbling, I think is an upgrade at, at that position, which is already your best position. And then I think John Paul Richardson is a loss, but I think they reloaded with with Arlen Bruce. And you know, I think getting healthy at, at the perimeter positions. Is absolutely critical, and they were not last year. I mean, if you remember, go down the depth chart. Bryson Green was not a starter. He was a starter due to injury, but he was not supposed to be starting. So, yes, it's easy to say he was one of your leading receivers, but he would not have been starting on this team this year. He would not have been. Hundred percent. I, I completely agree with you on that point. I, I think
1: that's. I think we're going to see as we move into this season and see some of these, hopefully what we've been hearing is true with kind of them getting separation from defensive backs and that'll go to show. I'm sure Bryson green could have improved on that, but that was a big flaw that we yeah. we saw him get completely taken out of game. So it's a great point by you uh, offensive line wise. It sounds like Jason Brooks has kind of not separated himself so much as the vocal leader, because we know Preston Wilson is a big vocal guy. He's an experienced guy and we know he likes that role, but it sounds like Jason Brooks is leading with his play on the field, he's kind of stepped up as the premier offensive lineman. Oh, wow. Which, Kate is is hilarious. I, I know he dealt with the mono last season, but you and I, after every game, not trying to toot our own horn, which I do like to do, but we were like, where's Jason Brooks? We can tell that he's good from these minimal reps he's getting. And then he started playing more and more as the season went on. He obviously dealt with the mono that took him out from some games, but the fact that Brooks has separated himself as probably the best offensive lineman on the team doesn't surprise me. Does does that
0: surprise you at all? No, and I I, I remember going back to some of those conversations we had last year and, and you know listening to others talk, like how can Jason Brooks, like he can't be that good because the rest of the offensive line is absolutely terrible. But you come in, Jason Brooks comes in, and when he plays, he played well. He was sick, but when he played, he generally played well. And you see the impact he had on guys around him. And and the thing for me, that's the evidence, is, is guys tended to play better. Or at least I should say the offensive line on that side looked better because he was out there. And those three guys, played. they play together. That's essentially the way it works. So it, it's not shocking to me that he's separating himself. And I would say... Having that as your left guard, your best offensive lineman as left guard in a power run scheme feels pretty good.
1: I completely agree. I'm going to be excited to see how much they let him pull or if he's more of the down oh, guy, but I would expect he gets out on the perimeter because we've seen him move pretty well in space. So it's going to be exciting. Loved what you said about it as well, the way you broke that down. Let's move to the defense. Nathan Latou has made some good plays. He's looked good. Cameron Epps, who I must miss- mistakenly brought up earlier. (laughs) Now I'm bringing him up for real. Apparently he grabbed uh, Ollie Gordon for a safety in one of those kind of goal, starting from the goal line drills. I'm not sure how much we can continue to talk about Justin Kirkland, but he's still making waves on the defensive line. And Colin Clay has apparently looked really good. We mentioned Xavier Ross earlier. I know he had a sack. Colin Oliver had several big plays and teamwork. A name we've mentioned a lot, but I don't think we mentioned... uh, before practice started, but I don't know if we've mentioned it a lot during practice. Anthony Goodlow, the other Tulsa transfer, along with linebacker Justin Wright, I think he's looked really good at that defensive end spot. He'd, he'd probably be playing the true defensive end, opposed to that Viper defensive end, which is more of your Nathan Latou, Deshaun Brown, Deshaun Brown, who's also looked good. But I think Anthony Goodlow is a name you and I haven't been bringing up as much throughout practice, but apparently he's
0: been looking pretty good. I just feel like he's another guy that by the end of the year you're going to see him out there and we it may be week 1 because the move from from Colin Oliver to linebacker is significant on the depth chart for several reasons but I think it frees up a guy like an Anthony Goodlow to play a lot and and again I think could end up being your one of your day one starters 100% agree it's another name to watch for I don't think I don't
1: know if he'll be cracking the two deep, but we may see him out there a little bit at times, especially if there were any injuries. PC North, redshirt freshman Jaleel Johnson, 6'4, Ooh. 250 at that defensive end spot. I think, I think he's looked pretty good. And then as far as kind of backup defensive backs safeties go, Ty Williams and Nick Session. I'm I'm a huge Nick Session fan. They've they've looked good with the twos. See, may see them at times this year to give, you know, Rawls, Daniels, Rucker a blow. Or if there, like I said, if there were any injuries, I think those are kind of your next guys in line for the rover and boundary safety spots. So a lot of good stuff from the defense. Apparently it's been kind of a back and forth battle with the offense, which I think you like to see. And that's kid, that's really all the notes I have from spring practice so far. We're gonna be moving into the final two weeks. Uh the fan meet and greet i believe is this saturday we should have some notes for you from this saturday's practice because i believe they're going to let the fans watch the last 30 minutes ish so should have some good notes for you there some actual team not not like a spring game but some team drills that people will be able to watch so should be pretty fun
0: yeah no no question again just a glimpse of this new roster and it it is a new roster there's a lot of new guys so uh, that'll be cool and uh I hope the weather stays all right. It doesn't look uh, doesn't look like a good weekend, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, we'll see uh, kind of how that goes, and we'll definitely be here with some spring practice notes from next week, and hopefully they'll be a little bit more detailed. So uh, moving into recruiting, Cade, I did want to mention, let's start with the negative. <laughs> Five-star cornerback, Kobe Black, that's the younger brother of yeah. Corey Black, put out a top 11 list, and Oklahoma State did not make the cut. It consisted of... OU, Texas, TCU, LSU, Ohio State, Bama, USC, AM, Nebraska, Oregon, and Florida. Oklahoma State was actually his first offer all the way back in 2019. I thought we would at least be in the mix, but it seems like he's gone ahead and cut that. I don't think any bad blood from Corey Black's experience here. Corey's obviously stayed with the team. We think he's going to be, you know, kind of the main cornerback this year a guy we have both really liked yeah but sad to see us not grab the little bro or at least be kind of in consideration but again five-star guy one of the best defensive backs in the nation so it, it's
0: not extremely shocking but it's a little sad it, it, it I think it's just sad to not crack a top 11 because the top 11 yeah. is a big number and that's a lot of schools in the mix however it's a lot of big big logos on there. And I know we've got one too, but, uh, I, it's hard to hard to blame him, but I agree. I agree. Next, uh, on a positive top list, a guy we've mentioned on
1: here, Samisi Tonga, 2024, three-star interior offensive lineman, six, 310 pounds from West high school in West Utah, where Jalen Warren went, which we've mentioned several times visited recently when a bunch of the guys from West high school came along with their coach, They extended an offer to him in early March, and he I don't think he put out an official list, but it was in an interview, I believe, with 247. He said he's kind of narrowed his list down, and Oklahoma State's included on that. He's taken several unofficial visits to Arizona, Arizona State, Miami, and Nebraska, and he's said that Nebraska, Utah State, and Oklahoma State are kind of at the top now. Nice, But he's still taking visits to Oregon and Oregon State, so we'll see how that goes. I like Oklahoma State's chances here. We know Benny Tonga has been great with kind of the Polynesian pipeline. West High School seems to be another pipeline to Oklahoma State now, especially with so many guys coming uh, to the Saturday practice recently with their coach. So I think they could end up with Tonga and a three-star interior offensive lineman that's six four three ten would be a great get in the 2024 class.
0: Uh, no question about that. It's a position of need. And I think a guy like that fits the bill. Absolutely. You got to love the pipeline connection there too. hundred percent.
1: And you, you also have to remember with the offensive linemen, there's not that many five and four stars. They don't get rated that high. Yeah, that's very, so a, three that's a star very offensive point. lineman
0: is solid. Yeah. A hundred percent is, is West high school. Is that the high school musical high school? You keep saying that. I think it is. <laughs> you might have to look that up. I'm I'm, I'm going to Google this up, that because that would be pretty funny. Yeah, I I, I actually think it is. Uh, well, I thought we will talk about this. <laughs> you get to <laughs> more important things, and uh, I'll no, while you're this. pulling it up, I'll just go ahead and list off the two uh, the two offers that I wanted to mention.
1: Mention this first one. I'm going to mess up this name. May Ali Ukai Smith, 2024 quarterback. 6'4", 195-pound, three-star from Junipero Serra High School in San Mateo, California. Anytime anytime they offer a quarterback, we're probably going to bring it up. He is considered to be one of the top quarterbacks in California in this class, completed nearly 68% of his attempts for 2,546 yards with 34 touchdowns and just eight interceptions. He's the number 28 quarterback in the 2024 class, according to 247, the third highest rated quarterback in California, and the number 37 overall recruit in the state. He holds a lot of offers, most notably uh, Arizona State, BYU, Cincinnati, Colorado, Florida, Kentucky, Miami, Michigan State, Missouri, Utah, Washington. He's taken unofficial visits to BYU, Colorado, and Utah, and he plans on seeing additional schools in the coming weeks. I haven't heard he's setting one up at Oklahoma State, but I've watched this guy's huddle tape. Really like him. Would be a huge get in the 2024 class.
0: Six four two hundred is is big time, and kind of reminds me of Shane Illingworth. I haven't seen much tape on him, but just size-wise, pro style, similar, similar build, I would, I would say. Maybe even Mason Rudolph's a better comp there, but uh, yeah, I, I, like, I like the idea there.
1: Yeah, 100%. He actually can move a little bit. I didn't see him take off and run, but he definitely evaded pressure in the pocket pretty well. So I liked what I saw from him. And then the second one is Carlin Jones, 2024 defensive lineman, 6'3, 270 pounds, three star from Bay City High School in Bay City, Texas, which is really close to Houston. Uh, Oklahoma State offered him. He reported it last Friday. He had an impressive junior year. He was Texas district. 12-4A co-defensive MVP, 102 tackles, 29 tackles for loss, 13 sacks, and one pass breakup. He received his initial rating in March, and he's currently the number 60 defensive lineman in the 2024 class, number 99 overall recruit in Texas. He's getting near 12 offers, most notably Cal, Houston, Minnesota, Northwestern, Oregon State, in wyoming with a few others in the mix he had a really good sophomore season as well a 6'3 275 pound high school kid who's playing the 4i5 tech could easily be bulked up to play that you know interior maybe even the one tech zero tech that we've seen from some of these nose tackles so keep your eye on carlin jones
0: would be a big get well that's kind of what i was wondering is he's he's a little bit of a tweener right now but if you brought him in and, and- attempted to bulk him up I think it would go well I don't think you can bulk him down so to speak I think he'd have to play somewhere interior but uh, it sounds like a lot of schools are after him he's got quite the offer list and he looks like the kind of prototypical Mike Gundy recruit like this is the kind of guy that Oklahoma State has made a living on over the last you know 15 years 100%.
1: 100%. Uh, also, a bunch of visitors this weekend. Again, a couple notable ones. I won't go in as much detail as I do with the offers because we've talked about some of these guys already. David Cabongo, the safety from Trophy Club, Texas, 5'11, 174 pound, three star in the 2024 class. DJ Duggar, the running back from Leander Glenn in Texas, 6'1, 205 pound running back. He's not ranked currently, but he's in the 2025 class. Oklahoma State's in on him early. So, I think he only has offers from Arkansas, Incarnate Word, and UTSA. One to watch could be a guy where he gets a rating after he commits to Oklahoma State, a three star right. guy, but a one, 205 pounder. You like those measurables. And then the last guy is Max Granville, the edge from Sugarland, Fort Bend Christian Academy, six-three, two hundred and ten 210 pounds. He's also not ranked in the 2025 class. I like him a lot. He's already got. Over twelve offers from decently sized schools, but Oklahoma State's in pretty early. His dad played linebacker at Duke and then in the NFL with the Bengals and Texans for five or six years. So comes from a good pedigree. Keep an eye on Granville, but the the one out of there that I really wanted to mention was Duggar because. I think Oklahoma State's one of the first, along with Arkansas, one of the first Power Five schools to get in on him.
0: Yes. I mean, speaking of classic Mike Gundy recruits, that's that's really maybe the, cl- yes. the classic Mike Gundy recruit. So I probably overstated it. Dustin, I, I don't want to leave the people hanging either. I did figure out what I was referring to. I was <laughs> close. It is East High in Salt East. Lake City. And I'm West sure... Rival. I'm sure our Gen Z listeners were shouting at their car radio, "East! It's East! It's not West! It's East!" So I'm I'm not embarrassed that I didn't get or get that right, but I just didn't want to leave anybody hanging there.
1: No, I, I love it, and the fact that it's East is pretty funny. <laughs>
0: It is, and it's probably a vicious crosstown rival, and I probably just triggered a bunch of West High folks with that one. So, yes, yeah,
1: so apologies to
0: any West High School fanatics yeah. that are listening to this podcast. Got a big uh, demo out in Salt Lake.
1: Okay, <laughs> hey, that's that's all we have for football.
0: Well, it it does lead us right into a hot topic, which is basketball in the transfer portal. But Dustin, thank you for continuing to break football down at at the best level I've seen out there. So, thank you for bringing that. Uh, and keeping us informed on all things Oklahoma State football. Before we get to basketball, I want to take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have, I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the Curse of Cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members Colorado with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at HomeFieldApparel.com, and when you use our promo code FIELDS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12 will get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the Feels Like 45 podcast engine. All right, Dustin, welcome back. Before we get into the transfer portal news, obviously some scheduling news, which is very fun. And th- this is a, this is kind of a sneaky good one. Oklahoma state in the big 12, big East matchup next season matched up with Creighton who is coming off of an elite eight run in Gallagher iba arena. Dustin, that's a big game.
1: I love it. I Creighton coming off a good season. They've been, you know, a solid program since McDermott has been there, you know, notable guys like his son who also played for the Oklahoma city thunder, Kyle Corver guys like that. So a bigger named smaller ish school Coming to Gallagher-Iba someone that Oklahoma State I don't think has
0: played I I haven't looked it up have they ever played Creighton not that I know of um at least not in in my lifetime I can pull up the official stat but I have they have not played since I've been a fan
1: yeah so you're talking about a Creighton team that made it all the way to the Elite Eight so it's going to be pretty awesome I'm really excited for this game I know a lot of times when they get some of these opponents. Either they're coming off a bad season, although, you know, UConn this year was pretty awesome. But sometimes in the SEC challenge, it's not always a team like an old Miss or somebody that we really want to see. But I love that Creighton is coming to Galgraiba on November 30th, and I hope to be at that game.
0: The uh, Creighton and Oklahoma State have played 40 times. So oh. the last time that Creighton beat Oklahoma State, they have not met since then, which was December 20th, 1998. So as okay. I was saying, so, that's <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> Before our time, I was like thinking don't... geographically. It seemed like in you know back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, that would have been an easy trip to make up to Omaha and back. So I, that checks out to me.
1: Yeah, we'll cut that. We'll definitely cut yeah, that yeah, part yeah. where we said that.
0: But uh, okay, the other
1: notables from the Big 12, Big East. I think one that stands out is Yukon Kansas.
0: Yeah. I mean, hello. That's a big one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, a couple. I mean, there's some other ones that could be good. You know, I saw Houston, the new Big 12 member at Xavier. That one just popped out to me because seeing Houston on there. Texas at Marquette, the Shaka Smart reunion, I guess, there. Villanova, k-state there's obviously any, any big east big 12 battle is going to be good but the one that kind of stood out to me the most was uconn of kansas for sure uconn coming off that run and then kansas being the powerhouse that they are in college basketball
0: yeah the big east i mean having a little bit of a renaissance here with with connecticut going to the final four and obviously winning the national title creighton going all the way to the big uh elite eight i should say uh I know the Big East was; it had a lot of dirt heat up heaped up on it for a long time. But uh, yeah, it's it's cool to see them good. I think one of the the classic, you know, college basketball conferences. You think of college basketball, think of Madison Square Garden, Big East tournament. Like th- those are things that I at least associate with that conference. And you wonder what Ed Cooley can do at Georgetown, so uh, and and get that conference really back on the map. But it is nice to know that Oklahoma State last year, although they did get you know, ran rough shot over in, in stores, Connecticut, that it was to the eventual national title, uh, winner. So hopefully that's not the case in Stillwater this year. Yeah. And Kate, should we, should we dive right
1: into the transfer portal and we actually have oh. to start
0: it with Oklahoma state news. I think we should, and it's not the greatest Oklahoma state news, but it is certainly news nonetheless. I mean, the, the, the story of the week right now, Dustin is, is Musa Cisse leaving, uh, Along with Caleb Boone, leaving <laughs> those are, so, those are I, big deals.
1: I did want to mention that, uh, on Tom Dorado on his radio show today uh, out of Stillwater, or I guess on Robert Allen's radio show, he's pretty close with the basketball team. Although I mentioned on here, he thought CC was coming back, and obviously that wasn't the case. CC hasn't officially entered the portal, it sounds like he's going to do that tomorrow. So that's, I don't think, I'm not saying I think he's going to not enter. I just thought that was weird. It may have something to do, I know there's another dead period going on soon,
0: another like short one, but I did think that was a little odd. It's It's just kind of how things are going, I think, right? Like, I think there's all this background activity. I would hate to be a college basketball coach right now. I mean, Terrence Renscher, I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but Oklahoma State's assistant coach, I'll read the tweet. He tweeted it at 5 o'clock. He said, the words I've heard the most over the last few weeks, 300, 400, and 500. I'm assuming he's talking in the thousands, and he's talking about nil it just kind of casts a little bit of a light on the the mess that i think this is you i i have heard that there were numbers thrown out from current players that are you know uh potentially looking to exit and that is the way this is going not just at oklahoma state but everywhere the guys on your roster are looking for you to pay them and if not they will enter the portal so if you think that's not happening at oklahoma state like it's, just, it's you're not paying attention and it's
1: definitely a risk as well on the player's part because we've seen and heard rumors, you know, with Oklahoma State players, as in a Mason Cobb, you know, we thought he was going to go to Texas AM. Yep. And the rumor is the package, and this may not be completely true, but the rumor we heard is the package wasn't what he thought it was going to be when they initially reached out to him and he ended up at USC. So it's definitely a risk from the player's part. It's definitely the world we're in now. I feel like you and I have kind of come to accept it. So we're going to just talk about it like that instead of complain about it as we move forward. But it's something interesting to note. And I'm glad you brought it up because I'm sure that's what happened with Musa Cisse as he went into the portal. And it sounded like it was a little bit of a shock in that people close to him were pretty split on whether he should leave or stay is what you and I have heard
0: again, just rumors. Yeah. And, and it's, it's hard to really know. I mean, all it takes is one phone call to, to your mom. And, and again, this stuff is happening. Like a coach cannot directly call a player, but let's just be honest. They're they're doing it. And th- this is the Wild West. Coaches hate it, but every coach is doing it to every other coach. And I'll say this, with the numbers that I've been hearing, I mean, uh, a guy that Oklahoma State's after in the portal, Stephen Ashworth, the number 200,000 has been thrown out with him uh, just on Twitter as a rumor. That's like real money. like and and that doesn't come from the athletic department's budget. like that it can't. It literally has it to doesn't come, from, come a, from this podcast, well, that's for sure. You guys are going to have to start uh, donating a little more to our Patreon that doesn't exist if you want us to start dropping that kind of cash on a player. But we, we, we can do that to them. We, we can <laughs> do that. We can set <laughs> we up a give collective. it to them
1: if y'all want to use this us as like a laundering to the nil we will not
0: laundering that. collective it's called a collective dust and that's the official yes term. oh yeah that's the new de- term you're new conflating definition. you're conflating it's it's the same <laughs> thing but it's called a collective so be it, sure to it
1: all jokes aside jade that is an insane number and that i that's what it's going to take especially in a sport like college basketball where there's only five guys on the floor at a time you know they're they're advertising for themselves out there they're not wearing football helmets these guys faces are everywhere and they want to get paid for their play and they are you know their household names especially with things like the ncaa tournament and these things so i get it looking for the money when when it's available to you so so.
0: just one like you know general thought about this and i didn't mean to cut you off there dustin but i want to get your opinion on this like early on, you know, a lot of blue bloods are filling their roster spots. And it sounds like the numbers that are being thrown out there are, are crazy high, but at what point, like does the blue bloods filling their roster, it has to have an impact on the overall, because now this is a market, right? And it always has been, but now this is truly an open market and it's transparent and numbers are getting thrown out there. Once the blue bloods, that, are, that do have the pockets to spend $800,000 on a Nigel pack, which Miami's not a blue blood, but bear with me. Once they are done making those types of plays, the cap on the market comes down immediately. And so the guys that are entering the portal late are at at a – weird spot where that money is not there the way it once was. And it's going to be very interesting to see like what a Hunter Dickinson does. Uh, Caleb love is already committed. Khalil where is already committed, like, and and they're committing to blue bloods. And at some point the blue bloods rosters complete and that impacts the overall market. And so a guy like Musa Cisse and really a Caleb Boone, I, I mean, and like Caleb Boone, we should focus on because I don't know where he's headed, but, Unless it's Oklahoma, I don't know what else he's gonna get that yeah, he can't and, get at Oklahoma State.
1: And that's why I brought up the point about a, the Mason Cobb thing. I know that wasn't the exact same situation, but these players are risking going into the portal, yeah. believing that they might get this deal, and it, it could not materialize. So 100%. It, it's definitely a great, a great point by you. With with Cisse leaving, you know, we'll see where he ends up. You mentioned Caleb Boone. We saw Keelan Boone, his brother, who was at Pacific, announced that he may enter the NBA draft, but he's also in the transfer portal. And just one note on that, I looked this up. So April 23rd is the deadline for athletes to apply for early entry into the draft. And June 1st is the last day to withdraw from the draft and uphold college eligibility. So we still got a while to go for that June 1st date. So it's going to be really interesting to see because if these guys are entering the transfer portal and waiting on a draft grade, it's going to get real confusing. Those deals that they maybe heard about might be going away if they're waiting on to see what their draft grade is. Like you talked about it, the Blue Bloods are filling up their rosters. If the mid-majors are filling up their rosters at that point, I think there's going to be guys left on the outside looking in, having to go places they either don't want to go, they don't think they can start, or a place that might be even a step down from where they were already at and playing so it's going to be interesting but I I do like what you said about focusing on Caleb Boone you're talking about a guy we saw him go up and down but this is a guy who when he was on he could go absolutely off and win a game for Oklahoma State a guy you and I talked about Oklahoma State needed to get the ball to more I think it's a big loss heading into next year but you and I mentioned on our previous podcast, we didn't think they were going to keep both Boone and Cissé. I don't think either of us thought they were going to lose them both.
0: I, I thought that Caleb Boone was transferring. The end of yeah, the year rolled around. On, I, on I did. I think I, I think I straight up said it because his body language. And, you know, Mike Boynton has done this for four years with him. And it. you made a good point about they don't wear helmets that you see their faces. You could see Caleb Boone's face. And a lot of times it's exactly what he was feeling and thinking, uh, and he didn't hide it well. And I, I you could see just Mike Boynton's like desire for him to figure that out. And it's unfortunate that it never happened, and it's never going to materialize at Oklahoma State. But it is exactly what I expected. The, the surprising thing was that Musa Cisse elected not to come back, and he could still – you know change his mind robert jennings at texas tech just did this just announced he was coming back to texas tech so it's not out of the realm of possibility but now you you know we don't have to get into the roster because it's not really what we're talking about no no
1: we can't you've got a problem down low i wanted to talk about keon williams which was hilarious how he announced her source on his twitter source being himself that he would be coming back you know only averaging 3.2 points, 2.5 rebounds, and 13.1 minutes of action. The only true freshman on the team. He had some good outings late in the season. I mean, you called it out several times. I think you said that might have been his best game of the season twice at the end of the season, you know, one after the other. Yeah. And now, Cade, I believe... With the new guys coming in, and if Eric Daly Jr. signs tomorrow, which I know we haven't talked about yet this week, but that he could sign as early as tomorrow. I think that I think you're now under the 13. I think you're at 11.
0: Yeah, you, you are. Is my count. You are, and you don't have to take a scholarship penalty um, this season. So that's that's the good news. I do.
1: The one positive is you cleared some room. For some transfer portal guys, which you and I both think they really need. We talked about a guy like Ashworth. We can get into some of the other ones, but the fact that they were able to clear some space is a positive. Now the fact that they lost Boone and Cissé is maybe not. And as you said, they're going to now have to target a big man, I believe in the portal. Do you think they can go into next season with just Smith and
0: Garrison? Yes, I think they can. And ultimately, I think it's what they will do because I think they need guards that much. I yeah. mean, you can't you can't go into the season with two big men. I think I'm gonna contradict exactly what I just said. You can't go into the season with two big men because you don't even have Bernard Kuma next year. So I don't see that if, happening.
1: If someone gets hurt, you have one.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't see that happening. Um, but it it complicates things because you have limited scholarship spots and you need guards badly. So I, I don't know that my outlook on next season is progressively getting (laughs) uh, bleaker and bleaker by the day.
1: You did segue us perfectly into needing guards. Javon small from East Carolina. We keep talking about him. He's now, we know, we know he did a, I believe it was a zoom visit. He's now going to be visiting along with, he's going to visit Oklahoma State along with Ohio State and Oklahoma per John Rothstein. He entered the transfer portal on March 15th. We talked about how he was injured a little bit last season. He missed the final two months, but he was their starting point guard, six foot two, 180 pounds, started 17 of the 18 games he played in, 15.8 points, 4.8 rebounds, He also had over 100 assists in those 18 18 games, which comes out to 5.5 assists per game, which again, we've made this joke several times, but that's half of what Oklahoma State averaged as a team. So big news there. I, I honestly would think Small is a great kid. He's a guy that can score and pass, which Oklahoma State needs both of those things from the guard spot, and he's a true point guard.
0: Yeah, he's the unfortunate thing here. (laughs) But again, my outlook is negative, but just bear with me. The unfortunate thing is he's visiting Ohio State first and then Oklahoma and then Oklahoma State. It's a lot of time for uh, other players to enter. It's also a lot of time for Ohio State, a team, you know, a program with probably as deep a pockets as a a program like North Carolina, et cetera, to figure out something for him. He's a big-time player. I think Oklahoma State can make a run here. Um, I just I have concerns that they're going to be able to compete financially, which is the unfortunate reality of where we're at.
1: No, that makes sense. Well, looking at some of the guys who committed elsewhere that we haven't brought up yet since the last podcast, Jamison Battle from Minnesota, he committed to Ohio State. Denver Jones, a guy you and I both liked, committed to Auburn. Jalen Cook from Tulane, interestingly enough, was at LSU, transferred to Tulane, and he's going back to LSU. LJ Cryer from Baylor, and these are all guys that were linked to Oklahoma State, is going to Houston. Kalia Ware, who you mentioned earlier, is going to Indiana. Trey Tennyson just recently committed to TCU. He had announced a final three, and Oklahoma State wasn't in there. That was after last week's pod, but we weren't expecting him to commit. But, Kade, there's a couple new names. We mentioned one of them earlier along with Javon Small, who's still in the mix, and some of the other guys, like MJ Rice. So, there's still guys who I think are in the mix, a Tyler Perry, but I don't know if Oklahoma State can land them. But of the new guys, we've got R.J. Lewis from UMass. He's a six seven hundred ninety pounds guard. He played in 27 games last season, started 10 of them. He's only played his freshman year. 11.5 points, he shot 35% from 3 but only on 1.7 attempts, 79% from the free throw line, 4.6 rebounds, 1.3 assist and 46% from the field. I think he's drawing attention from some pretty big names. I've seen Texas, and M, Georgia, Mississippi State, Maryland. I think there was 11 schools on the initial list. He had a I mean as a freshman at UMass, I think he had a solid season he's not a you know a a wow guy when i look at his stats but definitely someone i think if all else fails you definitely take because
0: i think he's got some talent well i and i feel like that list is a competable list for oklahoma state like you know texas a&m is going to be you know financially there but outside of that i feel like oklahoma state might have a shot here um and you're right the stats are not going to be wow but it sounds like the talent is there and it sounds like other programs believe that it is as well. So a guy that you might want to take a shot at if you can.
1: Next up Shahada Wells from TCU, six foot, 176 pound guard. He's from Amarillo, Texas, Cascosa high school. So shout out to a former podcast sponsor and still current friend, Andrew Cox. That's where he went to high school in Amarillo. Uh, He was at TCU, So he's at Tyler, Tyler, Texas junior college, then UT Arlington, then TCU. So he's going to have one year left as a grad transfer. He played in 35 games last year, started nine, 17.3 minutes per game, 5.9 points, 2.3 assists, 2.2 rebounds. He does not shoot the three. Well, he, I think he's, I mean, he's more of kind of like your, guard. I I mean, he kind of reminds me of Keon Williams, but as a smaller guard, is that a weird comparison?
0: I, I like Shahade Wells a lot, uh, but I have a hard time figuring out where he fits. Now it's a backcourt that will likely be new point guard that we don't know yet. Bryce Thompson. And I'll say Eric Daly at the three. That's probably what the backcourt looks like for Oklahoma state next year. And I don't know if Shahade Wells is going to be the guy you want running that entire show. Um, yeah. I really like him as a John Michael Wright type of player, but I I don't know how good he is as a you know ball dominant point guard. And and it could be a very similar situation. But uh, overall, he's an explosive athlete, and I think would do a good job at Oklahoma State. Just you know, I think you I think you have a really clear idea of what you need out of a guard in the portal this year. And Shahadeh Wells doesn't necessarily fit it, but I think you take him if he, if he wants to come to Oklahoma state.
1: And he has shot the three well in his career Mm -hmm. at UT Arlington. He was 39% on 5.4 attempts and he shoots well from the free throw line. So, he is a guy, he dealt with injuries at TCU two seasons ago. So he's a guy maybe you could see come in. I know like when Mike Miles was out, he was kind of a key guy for them. He would step up in the scoring department. So we'll kind of, we'll see how that one goes. And then the last guy, a guy you mentioned earlier, and I think you and I both think this is one to watch. Steven Ashworth, six one, 170 170-pound 170 guard from Utah state. He played there. He's played there for three seasons this past season, 16.2 points per game, 3.3 rebounds, 4.5 assist, 43% from three on 7.3 attempts, 88% from the free throw line. He's a career 41% three-point shooter on 5.1 attempts. He played in 20 or 35 games last year, started 25 of them, 33 minutes a game, I want Ashworth.
0: He is immediately at the top of the list of guys I've wanted out of the portal. He's he's literally the perfect fit from what you need out of a guard. He, he it's just that easy. He's he's clear cut the guy that you need and and I think if he comes to Oklahoma State, it changes the way your backcourt is set up next year. Like I just said I think you have a clear idea of what it is. But if you have an Ashworth, you put him at the two and Thompson, I think at the three, because Thompson we've seen is you typically in a backcourt. He's going to be the worst, you know, downhill scorer out of the group in the half court set. He's a great transition scorer, but in the half court, I feel like you would like a guy like Ashworth to be your two. And and honestly, would be one of Mike Boynton's biggest recruiting wins if he can pull that one off because he's, he's highly sought after. I think Gonzaga was in on him, but I know Oklahoma State's in a decent spot here.
1: Yeah, I love it. I, I think he's a name to watch, and if, the, if they were to get him, I think that's big-time positive news. Cade, I don't have anything else in the transfer portal. I know we got a couple questions on basketball, especially roster-wise, so we could probably hit that later yeah. unless you have anything else.
0: No, I, I think we should hit that later. And uh, you know, I guess the one thing I'll say uh, you know, to kind of wrap basketball up is it feels like a make or break year for Mike Boynton. And the more you watch the transfer portal, I know there's a lot of time. Bryce Thompson committed in May. I think Tyreek Smith, when he came, committed in June. There's a lot of time for Oklahoma State to sort this out, but the longer this goes, the more you're looking at you know, the, the group of five group of six, you know, type of conferences to fill your roster. And we, we saw that it didn't work this last time. It hasn't worked in the past. They they need to make a splash and they need to figure out what's preventing them from doing so um, and address that because ultimately I'm, I'm concerned with the direction things are heading from a recruiting standpoint, because they've put a lot of emphasis on the portal. And if the portal doesn't deliver that's going to cause some significant issues, especially next year where you've got five freshmen coming in and basically your senior guard leaving.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. All right. And with that, we we can move on softball. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I think we got a question about Mike Boynton's kind of hot seat, cold seat later. So we can get into that a little bit more too. Uh, Baseball, if they would, they lose the series two to one to TCU If they were able to win this series, it would have put them in a really good spot as far as winning the Big 12 goes. They still can do it. They're just going to need a couple sweeps. They're going to need a win against West Virginia this weekend. Looked great the first night, you know, five home runs. They win seven to six. Mindem and Riggio each had home runs in that game. Marcus Brown, Zach Earhart, who's back now pretty much full time. He had another hit in the game going on right now against Oral Roberts and Tyler Wolfert. Also went deep. Evan O'Toole got the win. Carson Binge got his first, and it was on a Thursday, but his first weekend start, which you and I have been calling for. And I think he looked pretty good. Stebbins was great in relief. Second game, Oklahoma State loses seven to three. Offensively led by Rock Riggio, he went two for three with another home run. Wolford also hit a homer. Ben Abram, kind of second start in a row. He hasn't looked great. He did have nine strikeouts, which is really close to a career high. He also allowed five runs on eight hits. Oklahoma State needs to score more. I don't think that's a terrible outing from Abram, but I, he's looked a little shaky in the last two. Brian Hendry came in, and the, uh, TCU scored a couple more runs. They finished at 7-3, like I said. In the final game, it was close for a bit. TCU ended up winning 12-5. to Jerron Watts-Brown just completely lost his control. Yep. He, walk, he walked a bunch. He didn't look anywhere near what he had in the past couple of starts. Evan O'Toole took the loss. You know, Tyler Wolford had another home run. He was powerful all weekend. Bergman had a pair of hits in his four at-bats. But Isaac Stevens actually, I think kind of the first time he's not looked great in that kind of ending relief kind of closer role. And Oklahoma State loses the series. Kate, that was tough. That's the first time that's... I felt a little bit negative. I think after a series, and I know TCU is a good team, but this was a huge one. And I know it was on the road, but if you win this one two to one, you are sitting really pretty. And I know it's only one game difference than a one two series loss. But now TCU holds that tiebreaker. They're at the top of the standings
0: now, and it makes it a little tougher moving forward the rest of the season. It it really was the type of series that. I think highlighted both of Oklahoma State's strengths and weaknesses. They lean so heavily on the bats to overcome some of their pitching that ultimately you get into a series that was winnable each game outside of Sunday. Let's just, let's just say Friday, Saturday, both of those games were winnable, very winnable. And Sunday got away from you when you had your ACE on the mound, they they're giving up a lot of runs and leaning probably too heavily on the bats to come around. And the Texas series kind of is the outlier in that, you know, they only gave up, I think it was six total runs in that entire series. And you get, you get out of that, like thinking, man, they've really found something out. Then you give up 13 runs to Wichita state. (laughs) And now you come to TCU and you gave up over six in each game. Um, it, it is highlighting what I was concerned about and and I'm not I'm not down on this team but you got to go win that game or that the that series at the very least and even the announcers were talking about it that was a TCU team that was down they were they were a little bit bloodied from the last couple of weeks and not feeling very confident and uh, I think Oklahoma State let them off the hook a little bit
1: yeah I agree and you're kind of seeing you know Ogas still working back Ryan, you're out for the season with the Tommy John, Tommy John and Noel McClain now not in that closer role, and it's having to be Stebbins every single time. You're seeing what not having those three arms looks like as you're moving into the, the heart of the Big 12 season. And you mentioned batting kind of taking a falter, like faltering a little bit outside from the home runs in this series. They dropped all the way from the 20s to 48th in batting average they're 18th now in D1 baseball's ranking, 17th in RPI, 55th in on-base percentage, so took big drops off in batting average and on-base percentage. Still 8th in home runs, they continue to just smash them. And then pitching, they're now 93rd in ERA, 68th in WHIP, still 29th in walk to our strikeout to walk ratio, and still good in fielding, 28th in fielding percentage, but got to get that ERA that WHIP up. You need a batting average to get back down into the 20-30 range, same with on-base percentage. You know, Carson Bench has been unreal. Schubert's kind of has fallen off a little bit, although he's two for two already tonight. Mindham has dropped below 300. Wilford's bringing the power, but you need some of these other guys to start hitting a little bit more for average, getting on base a little bit more. McLean, it sounds like he's kind of week to week hearing that he may be be able to DH soon, but I think it's going to be a few weeks still before he could get back in the field. And I don't know when, if he'll be able to pitch again. And it sounds like Miola might be shut down. He had he ended up having to have surgery on that thumb, and he might not be back again until the postseason. So you, you need some guys to step up as far as batting average on base percentage goes, guys like Colin Bergerman. Wilford needs to keep hitting. Erhard being back and hitting well has been go- a good sign. You know, he's had several doubles. He had the home run, which was absolutely smashed. Yeah. So if, the, if those guys can kind of pick it up a little bit, I think you're still in a good spot. But, it's going to be tough, Kate, against West Virginia this re- this weekend. They just dropped out at D1 Baseball's rankings in their 45th in RPI. But statistically, they're one of the better teams in the Big 12. You know, 42nd in batting average, 24th in on-base percentage, 32nd in ERA, 35th in whip. Th- their fielding has faltered some at times, but this is a good West Virginia baseball team.
0: Yeah and I think you you think West Virginia baseball and historically in the Big 12 they've they've had their ups but it's been mostly average to slightly below average in terms of the conference race. This is not that same West Virginia team. Oklahoma State uh last year even ran into a pretty decent West Virginia team and had a good series, but uh this year I f- I feel a little bit dejected maybe at the way things are going and and at least trending I mean the Texas series you feel up and you got to take this week by week you can't you can't look at things too ahead because you never really know but this is a big one man and and they've got Oral Roberts here tonight that's a tight game right now uh they need to get on the right side pretty quickly
1: yeah, I agree. Uh, West Virginia. You'll see. You'll probably see Hampton on Friday pitching for them. Traxel on Saturday, and then Porco Siegel, one of those guys, probably on Sunday. Carlson and Hageman have been pretty good out of the pin. Batting. Weatherholtz is batting like their second baseman is batting like 400 something. He's also a power hitter. McNeely, Wallace, Tuckett. Those are other guys to watch at the plate. These guys can hit. They can hit for power. The pitching has been solid. Some guys out of the bullpen have been pretty good. It's going to be a tough series. It would be incredible if you could sweep it. I know you mentioned the weather might not be great, but I think you got to get out of there two to one. You got to win this series.
0: Oh, no question. that If if you're going to compete for a big 12 title, you have to win this series. This would be one that you'd like to sweep and you'd feel really good about yourself if you were able to, uh, but I, I think you would just take a series win here, especially the way things have gone on the mound for you.
1: 100%. Switching to softball, they were at KU. They sweeped that series. But, Kate, those first two games were a little yeah, bit they tighter were. than you would have liked. Yeah. Michaela Wark's seventh-inning two-run homer led them to a 7-5 win on Thursday's game. Lexi Kilforal actually pitched pretty well, 10-1 in her complete game performance there. I know she gave up five runs, but... I thought overall she pitched pretty well. Kaelin Carwile had a double in that game. She has come all the way. You know, she struggled a little bit earlier. We talked about her breaking her nose. She has been hot at the plate lately. Kenny Gajewski mentioned that on his radio show as well this week. Rachel Becker, again, RBIs, getting on base, just dominating. The second game, Oklahoma State looked a little bit better in that one, winning that one 5-1. Kelly Maxwell 12-0 now, six inning, two-hit performance. She looked really good, striking out 11. That's her eighth double-digit strikeout outing of the season. Kylie Naomi was good at the plate. Rachel Becker again. Morgan Wynn and Caitlin Carwile. And then Kyra Acock came in to kind of finish it out. Uh, I think she came in, in the bottom of the seventh. Then in game three, Oklahoma State wins seven to zero. I thought they were going to run rule them. They get up the seven pretty early in that game, and then the bats just kind of cooled off. But Cheyenne Factor was good in that one. Wark was good again. I've already mentioned Carlisle and Wynn. and then Kyra Aycock was amazing after several shaky performances. She come back. She came back and was. Absolutely awesome in that last game, and then Ivy Rosenberry kind of finished it out for the Cowgirls pitching wise. They're number three in D1 softballs rankings, number two in RPI they rank in the top five in batting average on base percentage and fielding percentage right now in their 14th in ERA. Becker's still batting above 500, 631 on base percentage. if Kifoyle, Ache and Acock can keep. You know, ACOC can build off this last start. Kilfoyle can continue being solid. We've seen Kelly Maxwell kind of round back into form a little bit. They should be in a good spot. They actually played two games this week. They're playing Tulsa right now. They play UT Arlington tomorrow, both really high RPIs. They should be able to win both. They're up right now on Tulsa in the bottom of the fifth. And then they play Iowa State, who statistically I think is the worst team in the Big 12 this year. So they should be able to sweep that one.
0: Yeah, I think so. And it's funny, they're they're jockeying with UCLA on a weekly basis of who's going to be two, who's going to be three. And you're right, that series against Kansas, those first two games were a little bit dicey. And, you know, the pitching at times was not great, uh, even from, you know, people that you would think would would have a nice night on the mound. So nice to see them get out of there. As Kenny Gajewski said, you just got to figure out a way to get the sweep. Cowgirls do that. And then a very winnable stretch of games coming up. And then you're going to end the season. It's hard to believe you're only a couple of weekends away from wrapping up with at Texas, at Texas tech, and then Oklahoma. And, and this, this is going to be done. So uh Cowgirl's at 35 and three, uh, having the season we thought they would and uh, winning the type of games. We thought they would as well. Yeah. I think you could see a, 13 14 15 strikeout
1: game from kelly maxwell against iowa state this weekend that would be fantastic that's that's my one prediction for the weekend they've been pretty terrible at the plate all right cade you ready for the roundup i i sure am let's hear it (laughs) all right we got men's golf they are number 19 right now according to golf stat they're at the arizona state thunderbird collegiate starting April 14th. I believe it's just two days, so they'll be there this weekend. The women, who are ranked number 23, they fell to fifth-seeded Texas Tech 4-1 to at the Big 12 match play in Scottsdale. They'll be back in action April 21st through 23rd for postseason play at the Big 12 championship in Dallas. And then, Kate, while we're talking golf, let's talk a little bit more Masters. You know, Victor Hovland, we talked about him already, T7. Taylor Gooch, T-34, and Alex Norton didn't make the cut. But Victor, I know he faltered there at the end, but a top-10 finish at the Masters, a place where he has not looked great due to his short game, is pretty amazing. And I know people are disappointed with him kind of falling off there at the end. But when you see that T-7 in the final
0: standings, that's pretty awesome. Oh, no question. And he's, he's going to have plenty more opportunities. Augusta does set up well for him. He's such a good ball striker. He's got to figure out the putter. The problem with him on Sunday was he was leaving, you know, himself 15 foot par putts and he's making a lot of them, but the problem is they're par putts and you don't want that at Augusta, especially if you're in contention. And I thought at, for a moment that the tournament was winnable, but John Rahm, you know, had an unbelievable round, just clean the whole week. He deserved to win that tournament. And so it's, it's easy to look at Hovland and say, well, you know, it, you would have had to shoot 66 to win that tournament. And he didn't play anywhere near that.
1: So 100% agree. I I still think he's going to win at least one major in his career. He just started too too close. He's, he's been consistently good. Now he's improved his short game, which we talked about. If he can pick up, you know, like you said, some of the putting continue doing the other things. Well, that he does like his ball striking
0: his, his long iron play. It'll be, it'll be fun to watch. And I think he's going to win one. He, he hits some absolutely unbelievable shots and he can go on you know, a tear like he did on, on Sunday morning to round out his third round of five straight birdies and get right back in the heart of a tournament. And, you know, the, the, it's, it's the other holes for him that r- a silly bogey here or a, or a double that, that had no business being a double. It's kind of like my high school golf career, Dustin. Uh, and I can tell you about that some <laughs> other time, but it's, it's tough to watch at times, but then you see those flashes. And I agree with you. He's going to put it together. He's going to win one, if not multiple, and he's going to have a lot of opportunities to do it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, moving on to track. We had the men and women at the gym click shootout in Tucson, Arizona. The women finished fourth and the men finished fifth, but they had several event winners on both sides and several athletes having personal best. They're going to be back. So the Cowboys and Cowgirls are going to prepare for a multi-meet weekend upcoming this weekend, and they're going to be split across four separate meets all over the U.S. So that'll be pretty interesting for me to recap next week because that's going to be really confusing. So Cowgirls Soccer, Two goals in each half brought them to a 4-1 win over Tulsa in their spring exhibition finale. So we won't hear anything else from the Cowgirls until they get back in the regular season. So we'll leave them out of the roundup going forward unless there's anything notable. In Equestrian, this Thursday, first round of the NCEA National Championships. They're the number three seed, taking on the number six seed, Georgia, in this eight-team tournament. Hopefully the Cowgirls can win that and then finally tennis the men's team fell to number 59 tulsa four to one on saturday they're th- they're ranked 38 right now that moved them to 12 and 10 on the season they're going to be back in action friday and sunday facing texas tech and baylor at home and that will wrap up their regular season And the 19th ranked women also lost four to zero in the bedlam matchup against oklahoma that dropped them to twelve and six overall, five and two in Big Twelve play, and they'll be up next against KU on Friday in Lawrence. Okay,
0: that's all I got, Dustin. You you've got your podcasting lungs, my friend. I uh, I respect <laughs> the the ability that that takes for you to get all the way through those. Would you like me <laughs> to take our Twitter questions tonight? Would that Would that help you? Yes, yes, <laughs> that would be great. Kate. I would be happy to. Why don't Why don't I just get those pulled I'm up? And as out of always, air. Yeah, no, I I I feel that, and I understand. And as always, we're we're very thankful for uh, the amount of questions that come through. And today was was kind of abnormal, especially for a, an April eleventh podcast. But we're thankful for it because we've got a lot of them, and we could start uh, with friend of the pod, Randall Dryden at Randy D. That's me. Kind of a two parter. First one is, what player are you most looking forward to seeing develop this spring? And the second one is, based on the transfers in basketball and the players coming in, what is the over-under you are setting for the Big 12 final standings? Dustin, I feel like you're going to be all over number one there. Yeah, I
1: was trying to think when you were reading that of more of like an off-the-wall guy, maybe like a not-as-popular pick if we're going to talk about developing, I feel like you have to take a guy that's already on Oklahoma State's team, wouldn't you think, Then a transfer?
0: Yeah, I think you have to because my answer the, would be Arlen Bruce. But uh, I, I get and what I you I think mean. you can give that answer. I, I'm going to go with
1: someone on the team already. And I'm going to go with Joe Mahalski at center. I, I didn't see enough from him to make me feel super comfortable about him starting at center I thought he was a great swing offensive lineman that could come in and play guard center if he needed him to especially when guys were going down or somebody needed to break but I want to continue to see him develop because this center is an extremely important difficult position to play and if he can develop into a really solid center and allow guys like Wilson Brooks Birmingham and Materico to play those guard spots and and get through the season you know kind of which won't be his fault, but unscathed injury wise, that would be big time for me. And if you're the center on Oklahoma state's team and they end up, you know, improving in the run game, improving in the pass game, improving as an offense overall, you could get an honorable mention nod for big for oh, yeah. 12. So I'm going to go with Joe Mahalski for mine.
0: Yeah. I I like that a lot. I'll go cam Smith on the defensive side. I think he had a really nice freshman season and showed a lot. And I'm excited to see what he looks like. You've heard the physical maturity there has been there on par. So I I think I'll go with him a little bit off the off the wall there for you. I love that Um, pick. I love that pick. And the second one, you know, we're talking over under on basketball final standings. This is a little tough because you've got four more teams coming in and you don't really know what your schedule looks like. So and we
1: don't know who's Oklahoma State's going to get in the portal yet.
0: Right. But I do love if, the question. If you ask me this, and I'm answering it today, if it was a 10 team conference, I would put the over under at seven and a half, and I would take the under. I I think that they would be a bottom three team in that conference, and in the in the 14 team Big 12, I think they're probably you know the over under is nine. I, I think they're yeah. I, I think they're gonna at this be, time yeah. Better than everybody except Houston. So that's basically the way I see that. Yeah. So
1: I, I think, I think it's just going to be, we're going to have to monitor who they, who they get in <laughs> and
0: maybe that changes. But I think those are great lines for now. Yeah. I, I, I thank you. Uh, I, I tried hard on that. Here's one from Joshua <laughs> Hawkins at J7 Hawkins. He said, if you had to put together a championship caliber basketball team of only players in the portal, which five players. Would you want starting for you and assuming you could sign anyone in the portal, even if they're already committed Dustin, this is a good one. And, and man. that's a, I can, I'll go, I'll give you a second because I, well, I, I don't can even know if you make one together. It. Let's go. Who's your, who's your point guard. Do you, do you take max ace
1: Do you take oh, Tyler man. Perry? So do you take your Nelson jr.? I, I know he's more kind of a combo guard, but th- those are names that kind of pop off to me, like off the top of my head. I'm pulling up on threes, top transfer portal rankings, and they have Acemas at two, I just saw. But that was just the
0: first name that popped in my head as a guard. Man, see, now you're giving me something to think about. I would put Max Acemas as my ball-dominant point guard. I would put probably Caleb Love as my two- out of North Carolina Starling there's Aaron
1: Estrada oh and again you could even play Jameer Nelson Jr. with Ace Smith. I don't know if you'd want to do that but all how big is Jameer Nelson Jr. is he six
0: four he's only six one okay okay and then I get it I I get stuck at the three LJ Cryer yeah yeah I I think that would be pretty solid but there's a Harrison Ingram Mm. A. and Cryer feels like a Baylor type of team that 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 won the Natty with Davion Mitchell and uh, you know all those guys. That's a pretty throw salty battle,
1: battle in there as a three.
0: Yeah, I I would. That's a great one. You clearly have the transfer portal pulled up in front of you. I was going to try to do this off the dome. Jamison <laughs> battle at the three is a great one, and I would even put like I'm going to go big inside, and I want Hunter Dickinson as my five. I think he's the best center in the portal right now. Not close. I might go with a little bit of a Mike Boynton style uh flair and I I might put Khalil Ware at the four. I like it. I like it. So that there's my five. That was a really yeah, good team, Joshua.
1: Probably gonna be pretty good.
0: Yeah, I, I like athleticism. I like the way San Diego State does it, but the way you, Connecticut uh won that natty was with shooting and big men. So uh that's 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 kind of what I'm going for. <laughs> Um, here's one from MB Poke at Mark Buley. One, I love Mike Boynton and truly hope he can turn things around, but I'm losing faith. How hot is his seat if and when we miss the tournament again next year? I think it's scorching, <laughs> I think it's hot. unseatable. I think you can't sit on that chair if you miss the tournament next year. Um, it's unfortunate, but they, I think that's where we are.
1: Maybe they don't let him go at the end of next year if it's like really close, but. Then the next season, I think, unless you win a couple of games in the tournament, I think yeah, he's probably gone. So I think it's next season if he misses the tournament, I think that seat is on fire.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I would be surprised if he was Oklahoma State's coach the following season. Um, Just be that clear. And Here's it's going to be tough with everything you lost. Yeah, and that's kind of the problem. Is like you're looking to reload from the portal, which can be done. Texas did it. Other schools do it all the time. Kansas State reloaded out of the portal. It doesn't take a whole lot to ch- really change the trajectory of your, your program, but we, you got to do it. You can't, you can't be eighth in the Big 12 next year. You just can't. Here's one from Ranger Danger, at Ranger Danger underscore zero one. What are the chances that Brandon Garrison and or Eric Daly are one and done and decide to go pro after their freshman year? I'm going to go less than 5% on either of them.
1: Yeah, I think, and you know, that may be kind of of contradictory to what we talked about with Eric Daly considering going pro and us still not knowing 100%, even though I think he's going to sign tomorrow or end up signing at Oklahoma State, whenever that may be. But I just think if with both of them going into college, I think they both need a little bit of time to develop. I think both of them can play next year. I mean, you're talking about starting Daly at the three with the current roster you have right now. But I yeah, I think five percent, five or ten percent. I don't think either of them, and I'm not saying I think they're gonna have bad seasons. I just don't think they're gonna be good enough to enter the draft, the two round NBA draft.
0: I'll I'll get pretty bleak on you here. I think the odds of one of them being in the portal next year after their freshman season is higher than the odds of either of them getting drafted. So
1: I like that take. I, I don't like that take. I, I think that's a good take.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. I don't like it either. It's just the way things are going right now. It's like every other player pops in the portal after a year. So here's one from Corbett Klein at Corbett Klein, always sending in great questions. Thank you, Corbett. Would you feel comfortable going into next basketball season with, with Tyreek Smith and Woody Newton as your fours and fives as your fours? I'm sorry. And what type of five should they be going after a stretch five or back to the basket center? Uh, My quick answer to that, Tustin no. is No. I don't feel comfortable
1: with Woody Newton getting a lot of minutes next year in general.
0: I've, I've asked for him to be in the portal. So the fact that he's not, I, and, and I get why he's not from, from a personal standpoint, but basketball wise, he really, really struggled towards the end of that se- season I, last year.
1: Cade, when he went on the run. And again, I know this sounds super negative and I hate to be this negative, negative about a, a college player especially one at Oklahoma state. But when he went on that stretch of games where he was performing really well, I was shocked and I, I was happily shocked, but I didn't think there was any way that could continue for a long period of time. Well, he
0: he was making his money with that backdoor cut and team started adjusting to it. And that was it. That was literally all we had for Woody Newton. And you know, it's unfortunate that they couldn't figure out another way, but they, he had how many open threes did he bang off the side of the rim uh, late in the year, I just yes yeah, the stretch four close. experiment with him has not worked, and and I I don't think you can run that back. Tyreek Smith, I will say, I think could be a a good enough starting four next year because I think Brandon Garrison is going to be your five now at this point. Um, but to Corbett's question, what type of five should they be going after? A stretch five or a back to the basket center? Can we just get a a scoring five? That, that has a high motor because Caleb Boone was that when he wanted to be. But I, I would take Caleb Boone at four, 12 points a game rather than the 25 and two and 18 and four. Like just a consistent athletic uh, center is all I'm looking for. I don't really care what they're like, but I would take, I think, I, I think an athletic body is what Mike Boynton's going to look for. Yeah. You know, back to the basket's yeah. going to be tough.
1: No, I like that. I like that, Kate. I agree with you.
0: Here's one from Bill Minat at Bill BillMyGeoGuy, another frequent flyer. We don't have frequent flyer miles, but maybe we should for these few. <laughs> what do you all think is more likely? Talon Chetron having a breakout season or Leon Johnson making everybody ask, why was this guy playing D3 last year? Great one there, Dustin. I, it is a
1: great question. Here's my take on that, Cade. So Chetron is currently our understanding at the Z, and he's competing with Bray and Shribling. Now, I think Shetron is really good, but I think Bray and Stribling, unless one of them gets injured, I've been talking way too much about injuries on the spot. If, if, unless one of them gets injured, Bray and Stribling, I think are going to eat up a majority of the snaps at the Z. Now, at the X, you've got Blaine Green, you've got Rashad Owens, but both of those guys are moving back from the Cowboy back spot. We know Blaine Green is, I know Rashad Owens has cut down a bit, but Blaine Green's still, I think, like as big as he bulked up to at the Cowboy back spot. So maybe he's used in different ways than a typical X, and that allows for Leon Johnson to get some snaps. So I'm going to, all that to say, I'm going to go with Johnson here, but because of the position he's playing, the receiver position he's playing.
0: Yeah, I, I I love that, Dustin. I don't actually have anything to add. I think you nailed exactly what I was thinking. Talon Chetron, though, I think could be a guy that surprises. I just don't know when. Um, yeah. And I think Leon Johnson, that I feel like, is the easier pick because he is going to contribute, and he is from D3, and he's going to make a few plays that everybody's like, George Fox University, what is that? So it's well, it's And what
1: we're hearing brain shriveling are the Z's and the X might be up for grabs, not because people are performing poorly, but because there's a lot of guys who could play there. So it makes more sense to answer Leon Johnson there.
0: Yeah, I think I I would agree with you one from Sam at go poke zero two. Now that we're pretty far into the baseball and softball seasons, what are your, what are your new expectations or if they're the same for those sports in the postseason? And after after the first, you know,
1: they played a bunch of games early and all those invitationals and everything. And once I got a glimpse of what Rachel Becker could do, once I saw that Kylie Naomi's back, bat was coming back, Morgan Wynn has looked good. I know the pitching has struggled a little at times, but we say that and then I'm talking about them being like 14th in ERA. I still think, as I said early on, that this team has a shot to win it all even with teams like OU and UCLA out there, because we've seen UCLA lose. I'll be, you know, one of those to OU, but we've seen UCLA and some of the in Tennessee and some of these teams lose. We've seen Oklahoma State beat teams like Baylor. So and you know Florida State and teams like that, I think at the end of the season, Oklahoma State should be in the mix to win it all at least as far as they went last year in the women's college world series. And as far as baseball goes coming off that TCU series, I think I'm a little bit more negative right now. And hearing that Miola might be out until the pro season and they're not sure when McLean will be able to pitch again, that makes me a little bit more negative, but I still think baseball is going to make the postseason, And I still think they can get out of a regional. I'm just, you know, this was a team I thought could maybe get to the
0: college world series. And I don't know if I'm there this point in time right now yeah you and I are in in lockstep there I think Oklahoma State's baseball team has shown more gaps obviously than the softball team so if you're kind of putting both of those in the same bucket which we are in this question I think softball is a clear national title contender and I think Oklahoma State is looking for potentially an outside shot I just don't see them in, in Omaha. There's a lot of good college baseball teams. And I think Oklahoma State's running into some that are a little more complete than them. And I think the pitching is going to show up in, in a tough way against some of these better teams. And, you know, the schedule, you know, I know Texas is behind them. I know Texas Tech is behind them. But there are chances down the line for this to turn around. But I, I just I look at the way Arkansas last year went, how how poorly Oklahoma State pitched in that series. I just, I have a fear that they get matched up with somebody like that again, and and it doesn't go well. So that's the way I see it. Last couple ones here from Glory Cowboy at Gorig Sankar. This is two questions. One, when can we expect it feels like 45 YouTube channel for play breakdowns? And then is there any word on the new guys in the secondary, Kenneth Harris and uh, Webb Jr., Ladarius Webb Jr.? And do you see any of them starting over Cam Smith or Corey? Great question. I'll take the first one. The feels like forty five YouTube channel. It has been a popular request. Um, I don't know is the way I'll answer that. Maybe one of these days. If if that was vague enough for you, I can get a little more specific and say someday.
1: I, I do appreciate even getting asked that question. Yeah, that you it, want it. it it's great know. that you guys even want that. Appreciate it so much. Yeah, I think it's just more of a Cade and I figuring out. You know what all that would take. Time wise, we not saying we're more busy than normal people, but just, you know, fitting that into our schedules might be tough, but I think if we got it going, it'd be pretty easy to maintain. So I I like Cade's answer there. And then on the new guys, I think Kenneth Harris is a guy that's going to compete for a cornerback spot, but I really like Cam Smith and Corey Black. And then Ladarius Webb Jr. I think may get some run because he could play. Field safety, boundary safety, cornerback. I, I think what I've heard is he's basically been playing everywhere except rover. So the fact that he's trying out so many positions, I think he get in there could get in there. But I do really like Kenneth Harris, and I like that he's experienced. I just think Ladarius Webb's versatility makes him more of a chance to get some
0: snaps next season. I should I should answer first because every time you talk, I it's like yeah, no, that's that's spot on and <laughs> exactly. Right. So I think I'm going to answer <laughs> questions first from now on, just so Not that bad. way I don't feel like an idiot. Um, No, you, <laughs> you nailed it. And I, I, I think Kenneth Harris might be from, this is from an outsider who hasn't seen a minute of practice with my own eyes. I think Kenneth Harris might be the more polished prospect, but Ladarius Webb might have a, have more upside. Like I think he could play now. So I just, I, I'm excited to see, and I think you know, Glory Cowboy. Wh- you asked the question, and it's a good one, and it's a good one for a reason because I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I would side with Dustin, and I would say Ladarius Webb is probably the guy I would see, you know, being a a candidate in 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 front of Kenneth Harris. So, yeah, 100%. that's it. That's it, Dustin. Yeah, and thank K- you.
1: We might have had a couple more if we missed anybody's. I've got, I'm running up against a hard
0: stop. So that is my fault and I apologize. But thank you guys so much for the questions. Yeah. As always, we love the engagement, especially during the offseason. It keeps us rolling. So if you're not already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Feels Like 45 Pod. You can follow Dustin at Dustragu. You can follow me at Cade Webb. And who knows? Someday maybe you can follow us on YouTube. Thank you, Glory Cowboy, for that. We will talk to you guys next week. Go, pokes.